We've always lived in a time in which people have as many questions as they do answers about God. Uh, some wonder if there is a God, and if there is a God, how can that God be known? And if he can be known, well, but who is he? And, and what can he actually do? And some of those questions are born out of our experience where we go, well, you know, I, I look at life, and if there is a great and powerful God, and he's a good God, then why doesn't he deal with the mess that we're in or the heartache or pain? And there are things that happen all the time we just don't understand. We just don't understand. As we think about, uh, have, have you noticed there are a few fires been happening in California? You know, I think I was looking at a statistic, 22,714 acres have been burned just in the Tribuco fire. And they, they say it's 41% contained, which is good news that 41% is contained. But then the other side of it, there's 59% of it that hasn't been contained. And if you've lost a home or if you've been in, in, evacuated, you know, you're wondering, well, God, if, if you're around and you're a good God, well, why didn't you somehow prevent this? And then there are other things that happen more on a personal level. I was just reading this past week, and maybe you saw some of the details about that, is there was a, there was a man, 29 years of age, and he, he worked at the Seattle airport, and he decided to, to grab, a, grab a plane. Um, and one of the mysteries of that, they had no idea that he knew how to start a plane and get it up in the air. Uh, but here was the account of this. The family of an airport ground worker stole a computer plane from Seattle Airport Friday night and flew it around before crashing it in a small island and, and said that they were stunned and heartbroken over the act that ended with his death. In other words, it just did not make sense as they tried to understand life and having a sense that there's a God that orders things, how, how, how can you let this happen? Uh, very specifically, he said, this is a complete shock to us. The family of Richard Russell, who was known as Bebo, uh, said in a statement read Saturday evening by a family friend, we are devastated by these events. And it's interesting about this, and, and sometimes we think, well, that's just for people who, who don't believe in Jesus. But it went on to say, we are devastated by these events, and Jesus is truly the only one holding this family together right now. Without him, we would be hopeless. The article, and I'm not going to read all of it, went on to um, speak of Richard Russell. And, and one, he, he had a blog or a, a journal entry, which did not give any clue that he was about to do something like this. But when he was up in the air... He uh, made a statement, and, and this is what he said. I, I've got a lot of people that care about me. It's going to disappoint them to hear that I did this. I would like to apologize to each and every one of them. I'm just a broken guy, got a few screws loose, I guess. Never really knew it until now. So here's a man that had family that knew Jesus, and uh, showed him love and care. He had a, a sphere of relationships that was supportive. And yet, this past Friday morning, he decided to take off on a plane. And, and when it ran out of gas, he landed into an island. And, and we often wonder, well, where is God when these things happen? Whether it be the fires that have ravished people's lives. Uh, people have perished in the fires. You have uh, those who are risking their lives to somehow save homes or communities. And you, where is God? But what I want to ask this morning, or what I want to present this morning, is, is we think about where is God, what's even more important, who is God? Because if we get God right, then no matter what happens in life, 
Even though we, we can't put all the pieces together, it, it, we can have comfort and strength because God is there. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 18. If not, I just listen along as I read the section. And we're going we're gonna to go through it and then come back to it. But basically, we're going to ask the question, who, who is this Jesus? There, there are those who, and we're going to go to the primary source. I don't know if you've ever done research papers. We've used research papers. You can, you can look at books that talk about what people have written or said, or you can go to the primary source of who actually said it. And when we think about the Bible, we can, we can read many things or sections where people talk about Jesus, but we're going to hear Jesus talk about himself or identify himself. But what we're going to see here is that when he identifies himself, his followers, his closest followers, don't quite understand it. Have you, have you ever had that experience? You don't quite understand what God is doing or not doing, or, or maybe you can't even understand as we read the Bible, we're saying, well, this is, all the pieces don't seem to be being put back together just exactly as I thought they would be or should be. Well, we're going we're to see that this morning. Who, who is this Jesus? And, and let's go to the original source. Let's listen to Jesus himself. And I've got two main points, got some subpoints, but I only want you to remember the subpoints, all right? I mean, the, the main points. We're going to look at Jesus, and he's going to tell us who he is by what he will do. And then we're going to look at Jesus, and, and we're going to find out who he is by what he does. And, and it's it's put that way, or at least that's why I'm trying to present it this morning, is we need to remember when we look back at the Bible or look at the Bible now, we need to recognize that the things that we read in the Bible, at least in the first nine-tenths of it, it hasn't happened yet. Okay, forgetting Revelation for a moment, if you look at all the other stuff, it's already happened, right? But for some of them, it's, it's a record of what was going to happen, not what has happened. We look back, it's already happened. And so we're going to look at Jesus preparing his followers, his closest followers, about what would do and would identify who he is and what that would mean in their life. But they're just like us because, okay, that's what you, you might do. You know, this is, this is a promise that could happen. It could be a friend or a family member might be giving you assurances they're going to do something in the future. But you're more concerned, well, what have you done lately or what have you done for me now? And then we're going to see Jesus identify himself by what he does, not just what he will do. Well, let's see it this morning. Who is this Jesus by what he will do? Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 31. When he, this is Jesus, took the 12 aside and said to them, so Jesus got his life group together. Our life groups start during the fall and and go through the winter and spring months, and that's when you get a small group of people together, and you have the opportunity to talk about truth, interact with it, and share with it, and question it, and argue it, and whatever it might be. And so Jesus took his life group, his 12, his 12 disciples, and, and begins to pour into their lives about something. Uh, verse 31 again, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. So he says, we're, we're, we're going to go on a, a field trip. Uh, we're we're going to go to Jerusalem. Now, they knew what that might mean because Jerusalem was the hot spot for Jesus because he had more enemies in Jerusalem than any other place because that was, a, that was where the mass majority of religious leaders would, would be, particularly during Passover, and, and they want to do everything they could to somehow get rid of Jesus. And so we're, we're, going, we're going to be going together. And he says up to Jerusalem because it's 2,550 feet, um, which is it's an elevated part in Jerusalem. And so wherever, wherever you are in Jerusalem, whether you're going north or south or south and north, is always up to Jerusalem. And he says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And then he says this, And all things, not just a few things, but all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. 
And so they're listening to this, trying to somehow figure this out. And he says, oh, and by the way, for, for he, making reference back to the Son of Man, will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Now, they've been with Jesus these last three years. And Jesus had inferred this in so many different ways. But if you go to Luke 9, verses, I think, 22, and then Luke 9, verse 44, he said basically the exact same things. Now, whenever you're in a classroom situation or you have someone teaching you something or, or communicating something to you, if, if they say to you once, you know, and they're a prominent person, you know, it's important. You know, if they, they say it twice, it's really important. If they say it three times, you know it's going to be on the what? It's going to be on the test. Okay, this is the third major time where he said, look it, let me be very plain with you. Okay, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And by the way, sometimes there's this big controversy. Well, who killed Jesus? You know, the Jewish people killed Jesus. Well, here it says he got handed over to the who? The Gentiles. If you're a sinner tonight, today, and we won't have a show of hands today, but if you're a sinner, you're included in that bunch that put Jesus on the cross, okay? And, and so if, if we want to somehow narrow it to a certain nation or nationality or ethnic race, we, we, are, we are all mixed up. In fact, actually, it was a predetermined foreordained plan of God because it's the only way our biggest need could be dealt with, which is our sin. But he gets handed over to the Gentiles, and he said, look at He's going to be mocked, scourged, mistreated, and then put, uh, put to death. He'll be killed, and on the third day he'll rise again. Verse 34. But the disciples understood none of these things. Isn't that amazing? There's some things. That, I go, wait a minute. Wait, weren't you just listening? He, he, was, he wasn't speaking in a foreign language. You knew the language. He didn't use symbolic terms. And it said, they understood none of these things, and the meaning of the statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. He said it three different ways. They didn't understand. They understood none of these things. They did not comprehend, and it was hidden from them. So Jesus was telling them something that they were not capable at that moment to understand. And what was it they did not understand? They didn't understand who he was completely and fully, and they didn't understand what he was going to do and what was going to be done to him. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to unpack that. And we're going to try to unpack it two ways. And here, here's, here's the things that are going to be on the test. Who is Jesus? He's the son of man, and he's the son of David. Now, there are, there are people, you know, some seekers, honest people who are trying to wrestle with it, and some people might not be seeking honestly, that say, well, you know, why, why are people believing in Jesus as God? Jesus never claimed to be God. Other people claimed for him to be God, but Jesus never claimed it. And, and there are times where you say, well, why couldn't he put it a little more plainer to us? But we got to realize that Jesus spoke to a particular people at a particular time in history, and so he was using language that was most important to them. I mean, he did say some things that are pretty clear to us. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That could only have been Jesus. We also know that Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I and the, I and the Father are one. God and I are one. And, and they picked up stones to kill him. So Jesus made some plain statements. 
But he wanted to put in language that if they really understood the significance, this is, this is who and what they were looking for. They were looking for the Son of Man and the Son of David. And, and so as we look at who is this Jesus, we're going to see that and what that, what that means for us. What's the so what of that? He is the Son of Man. What is, and Jesus made that statement about himself. I am the Son of Man. In fact, it's said multiple times. More than three times. In the Gospels, it's used 79 times that Jesus is the Son of Man. So we know that's on the test, right? Who is Jesus? He's the Son of Man. We look at that and go, well, aren't all male people, human beings, Son of Men? Yeah, we go, we all have fathers, right? But that's not what they heard when they heard that he was the Son of Man. They're saying he's the Son of Man. Well, who is the Son of Man? Daniel chapter 7. This Daniel speaking of his experience. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, so he's speaking of the son of man, was coming. And he came to the ancient of days, and the ancient of days is the, is the, the, the label for God the Father, and was presented before him. So we, we have this one, the son of man, who comes before God the Father, and this is the revelation of the, of the, the tri, triune God, and God the Father, God the Son, and we know later on the God the Holy Spirit. But they didn't totally understand that in the Old Testament completely or appreciate it completely. But here they said, there's a son of man. He's coming to the ancient of days, the, the, the father of, of everything. And, and what's so significant about him? It says, and to him, this is the son of man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So, so what, what's Jesus saying to these disciples who weren't going to totally understand it at that moment? Okay, I'm the son of man. And, I, and I'm the one who has dominion over anything and everyone in this universe. I, I am the, I'm the one who is the ruler of a kingdom that will last not like in... Human history, which for a short period of time, comparatively, my kingdom will last forever. I am the one who will be in charge of everything. I rule. I'm the sovereign. I'm the one who calls the shots. This is the Son of Man. Now, they got it to a certain degree, but, but, but it, it was not computing because it seemed like it, it, was, it was not fitting, because it, if you said you're the son of man and you're the one who is going to be the one who has dominion over anything and everyone, and then all of a sudden on the, on the next phrase you say, oh, oh, by the way, there's going to be a group of people and they're going to take my life. And not only are they going to take my life, they're going to, they're going to mock me and ridicule me. Well, in those days, if you were the kingdom of a powerful kingdom, would anyone do that to you? Of course not. Because if you were that powerful a person, you would, Take their head off. You, you would destroy their life. And so they're thinking, you are the king of kings and lord of lords. You're the son of man. And yet you're telling us you're going to die. They, it, they couldn't understand that. And often when Jesus would say things, people would say, well, it's, it's easy to say. But how can you back that up? Well, we won't go to all you know, 79 times that the son of man is used in the gospels. So let's look at one of them. In Mark chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, Jesus has the encounter of a man with a serious need. He's a paralytic. He can't walk. And he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he really hits at the heart of this, that Jesus would tell people who he is by what he was about to do. And what he did here, he goes, okay, by the way, you think it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. I mean, I could say that to you. I'm going to forgive your sins. Well, how do you know if I can do that? You can't look in your, you can't pull apart your chest and see, did all the dirty stuff in your heart get out? He said, to show you that I can actually do what I said I could do, I'm going to take a person who cannot walk, hasn't been able to walk since birth, and he'll now be able to immediately be healed and go home. So as we think about understanding and getting through the things in life that we don't understand, and let's be honest, don't agree with, don't like, don't think that's the direction how to go, our only really source of hope is, is there someone who is above all this, that's in charge of everything, and can be trusted even when we don't understand? And this is what Jesus said to his disciples, because what's going to happen is going to be the singular most ununderstandable thing that you've ever experienced. The one who's the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Savior, the rescuer, the promised Messiah, the one you've put your complete hope in, he's going to be, he's going to be seized, mocked, tortured, and put to death. Anybody want to sign up to follow that God? Follow that Savior? Follow that leader? You can't even save your own life. That's what they mocked up there. You can't even save. If you're so powerful, then save your own life. And, and, and Jesus had prepared them for that. So look at this. This is going to happen. This is the only way it could happen. So our ways are not always God's ways, but in the end, God has an ultimate plan. So what, what I'm primarily saying to all of us this morning is, who is this Jesus to you? Is he truly the one who has dominion over anything and everyone? He is the one who has ultimate authority and power to do what needs to be done. You know, in this whole story here, you, you, have, you have, again, the credentials of Jesus because it said, remember that he would fulfill all things that were written in the prophets about him. He is the fulfiller of prophecy. That's why he is the son of man. And just to give you a, a quick list of some of the things. You know, in Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says that he would, be, he would enter in Jerusalem in a, on a triumphant way. This little peasant preacher would come in and they would sing out, Hosanna, Hosanna to him. In Psalm uh, chapter 27, it said that he, he, he would face the rage of all of his enemies. In Zechariah 13.7, he would be deserted by his friends. In Zechariah 11.12, he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, very specifically. In Psalm 34.20, none of his bones would be broken. Psalm 69.21, he would be given vinegar to drink while he was on the cross. And in Psalm 16.10, it was predicted he would raise from the dead. So as we think about the Son of Man, the Son of Man was Jesus, and he was the one who had dominion, power, authority over anything and everyone and everything. And he's the one we put our confidence in. Even when things happen, we just don't understand and agree with and, 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 and put our confidence in. But because of who he is, he is the one who has dominion and rule over everything. Well, I can trust him. And he's demonstrated because he is the fulfiller, fulfiller of all prophecy. But we need to recognize that He's also one that does things we don't always understand. He is the king to be killed. 
But he's the Savior to be rescued and, re- and resurrected. But he is the teacher that is sometimes misunderstood. And so, again, when things go on in life that you don't always understand, you're in good company. You're with the disciples who didn't always quite get it. And sometimes we don't get things because we're just not prepared for it. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you knew everything that's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or depending on how long we live in the Lord, Terry, in the next decade? I, 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 want to be about, I want to be surprised by some things that have happened in my life because I, I, I wouldn't have been prepared. I, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd be living in fear of them my entire life because some of the things that happened that I, I wouldn't have wanted to happen. And so God sometimes keeps us in the unknown because the known is, is the one that he knows and we trust in him. So who, who is this Jesus? He's the son of man. And, and we don't exalt that position, but that was a, that was a claim to being God of gods and Lord of lords and King of kings. But let's be honest. It's one thing for, for people to tell us what they, they might do in the future. You can trust me because this is what I'm going to do. And, and you're saying, well, this is something you might do, right? I mean, you, you can't be convinced about something that hasn't already happened most of the time. And so you're saying, okay, you know, God might do this or you might do this and I'll trust you. But Jesus not only revealed who he was by what he would do, but he also revealed who he was by showing what he, by what he does. Remember, um, you know, it's kind of a little bit more easy to say in, in this service, but remember in school there was always show and tell? Remember show and tell? Raise your hand like you're as old as I am, okay? Remember show and tell? You know, there was, it was a time in school where, okay, this is the day you're supposed to bring something from home, and you're supposed to share something from your experience, some trip, some, something you did, and, and they didn't want you to just talk about it. They wanted you to show it, right? Well, Jesus, Jesus was good at telling, but he was also good at showing. And so right after this encounter with the disciples, and he, he really was telling them about something that would happen. They didn't believe it then, but after it happened, they would go, oh, yeah, that's right. Jesus told us that. Now I get it, okay? And that's, that's often, we've got 2020, what kind of sight? Hindsight, right? After it happens, okay, that's, that's, that's how it puts together. But we don't have very good 2020 foresight. We don't always see those things. And let's, we can be humble about it. It's because we're not ready for it. So God doesn't give us foresight, but he gives us hindsight if we're looking and listening to what he has already said. But now he goes from telling what he will do, now showing what he does, and this is the encounter in verses 35 to the end of the chapter. And as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. And Jericho is about 15 miles outside of Jerusalem, and he, it's coming down from the north toward Jerusalem. Now, bearing a crowd, now, now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. Now, now think about it for a moment. We want to put ourselves in this position. Here we have a, a man uh, blind. As far as we know, he's born blind. And he's, he's sitting out, you know, on the street because that was his only source of livelihood because he was dependent upon people helping him. And all of a sudden he's out there and all of a sudden he hears, hears a commotion. He can't hear, he can't see. And, and he cries out, what's going on? And they tell him, you know, Jesus is coming. And, you know, and, and the one thing we know about this blind man, he had, he had never seen Jesus, right? Because he didn't have sight. But he, 
but he probably had heard about Jesus. And so then he responds. Verse 37, they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he, the blind man, called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So we've looked at Jesus being the son of what? Son of man. Now we're going to look at Jesus, the son of David. And, and he cries out for mercy. Now what was the response of the people? Now, even... We could, would we all agree we could all be more compassionate than we are? Some of you are very, very compassionate, but we could all be more compassionate than we are. Nod your head like, okay. So we could all be more compassionate than we are. And if we're not very compassionate in a period of time, we, we, we want to hide that we're not being that compassionate, right? We don't want other people to know we're not being very caring at the moment. So, but in this particular moment, it's interesting. You know what the crowd does? They turn on this blind man, and they start screaming at him to stop screaming, it says, verse 39, those who, who led the way were sternly telling him, and his name, Bartimaeus, later on, or another, another one of the Gospels, he says, they sternly tell him to be quiet. So they're basically telling him to shut up in the strongest possible term. They're saying, will you just quit bothering him? And you wonder, why they're so, why they're, don't they have any sense of care, compassion for this man who has so many needs? And, and they're probably like us. Well, I know you have needs, but how about my needs, right? We, we want to make sure we have time with Jesus. But, but this didn't stop. He kept crying out all the more. The word for crying in the original language, crosso, it means he wasn't just whimpering. He wasn't whispering this. You know, he wasn't trying to, uh, you know, be so sensitive that people around him weren't looking at him. He was screaming this out. Well, they don't dissuade him, so he gives the same message. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him. Which is an interesting just thought is that if you go through the Gospels, Jesus never turned away a person who had a heartfelt need. And so in the midst of the crowd, and I'm sure it was noisy, he heard him and he calls them to come to him. What do you want me to do for you? Which is interesting because Jesus knew everything. Why did Jesus ask a question? He didn't, you know, because he always knew the answer. But he wanted this, this man to be upfront about what his concern was. And the Bible says that often we have not because we, we ask not. And because God wants to make sure that we're aware that he's the one who does it. And if we're not specific in our prayer requests, sometimes we generalize. Oh, I was just lucky that day. But when we get very specific with our requests and God comes through, then we, we, we give him the glory and credit because he did exactly what we asked him to do. It's interesting. It's not in this particular account, but it's one of the other gospel accounts, is, is that when Jesus calls out to him, it says that he leaves his cloak and runs to Jesus. Which, which, which is, is, a, is a glimpse into his heart because what blind men didn't do then and really don't usually do today as well, if you have something valuable to you and someone calls for you, you, you don't just leave it there. Why? Because when you turn around to look for it, you can't what? <laughs> you can't see it. And if it's something valuable, I can't see it. If someone doesn't help you, you've lost what's so important to you. And a cloak is that which would be used for, to be able to sleep at night or to use to warm you on a, on a cool evening or cold evening. And so, but he, he wasted no time. He left it to go see Jesus. And, and then we see what happens. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. 
And so he gets very specific what he wanted, and, got, and, and he could tell that he not only requested, but believed that Jesus could do it. And immediately, so it wasn't this long recuperate, recovery time, recuperation, he regained his sight and began following him, Jesus, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. So this is, this is an amazing miracle, and it's interesting if you read historically, there had been no miracles in bringing sight back to the sightless. No healing of, of blindness until Jesus arrived on the scene. So this, is, this is not one of those you know, routine-type miracles, if any kind of miracle is routine, but this, this had not been done until Jesus began healing people's sight. And the people just spontaneously respond with praise and glorifying God. But, but what are we to, to, to go away with? What are we to leave with this? One is, who is this Jesus? He's the Son of Man. He's the one who has dominion over all things. The kingdom was given to him by God the Father. But here we have the Son of David. What does that tell us? Well, he, he's the unique one that was promised to come, and he is the fulfiller of all that was promised about the one who would reign on that kingship. It really is the same idea. Again, he is the one who has dominion and power and authority over everything. In Matthew 21, 9, we have this, the crowds going ahead of him. This is Jesus, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Now, Hosanna is a, again, it's an Aramaic term where it, it, we don't really know what that, I mean, we have our time computing in our, our normal thinking of what that means because we don't use that word. But it really means save us and save us now. And who is it to save us and save us now? It's, he says, Hosanna, Hosanna ahead of him. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So the son of David was the one who was going to save them. Now, the problem was, of course, they thought they were going to save them politically and deal with all the hardship they were under under the authority of Rome. But there was a much greater saving. It was saving on the inside. And Jesus takes on this title, receives this title from the blind man. Bartimaeus, we found in other accounts of the, in the Gospels, and there were actually two there uh, that got healed. But it was to, to say that you are the one, and you are the one uniquely who can give mercy to me. Now, who is the, what is the son of David? We're running out of time, but let me look at a couple of passages real quick. Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew 22, we have Jesus creatively explaining to them who the, who the son of David is. Verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. And so Jesus is, is, is teaching the Bible to people who taught the Bible. It's like going to seminary or Bible school and someone gets all the professors together and say, well, let's, uh, let's discuss the Bible and see if you understand it very well. What do you think about the Christ, the promised one? Whose son is he? And they said to him, of course, they could have said son of man, but they said, no, he is the son of David. And he said to them, this is Jesus, then, then how does David in the spirit, in other words, it wasn't just something that he said out of his own personal flesh, call him Lord? Wait a minute. You, he... he David is the king of kings in the sense of historical Israel. He's the one revered more than anyone who was the monarch of God's people, Israel. Well, how does he say to one of his descendants, you are my Lord? That doesn't make any sense. And so he says, how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, 
Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how has how is he his son? Or to put it more plainly, if you've had children, when's the last time you called him your Lord? <laughs> you don't do that, all right? Uh, and the only reason he could call him Lord because he was his Lord. That this one, the son of David, was superior to David. And they got it, verse 46, no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Because whenever they asked Jesus a question, he always stumped him. So what does it mean to be the son of David? It's exactly what it means to be the son of man. Jesus was claiming, I'm the one who has dominion and rule and authority over anything, everything, and anyone. Now, when we understand this about Jesus, it, it does change how we respond to life when it doesn't happen like we want it to happen. And isn't that true for all of us? You know, things happen like we wouldn't like them to happen. And where, where, why didn't God show up? Or if he did show up, why didn't he change how it happened? Whether it's the fires that ravish people's homes and take lives, or whether it's a loved one that does something irrational and gets up in a plane and flies it into an island, or, or a health situation, or a decision that was made in the wrong way, or whatever. And all, all, all we can do is just cry out like, the blind man, to, to the son of David, have mercy on me. And that's why Jesus respond to, responded to the blind man, because he came to Jesus the only way that any of us can come to Jesus. Not, not, Jesus, not pleading Jesus to do something we deserve, but pleading for Jesus to do something we don't deserve. That's what it means to cry out to have mercy. Lord, Stop something that's happening to me that I, that I do deserve. That's what mercy is. Grace is give me something I don't deserve. Either one works. And he cries out to the, to the son of David, the one who has power and dominion and authority over even King David in the past because he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And say, I, I can trust you with my life and, and be my merciful physician. And that's what he's really asking. You who, can, who came not to heal those who are well, but those who are sick. Be merciful to me. But not only was he the son of David but, and the one who was a merciful physician, he was also the leader not controlled by the crowd. It was so interesting. Jesus was not dissuaded to not come to that person's help because that's what everybody else wanted him not to do, to come to him help. He, he went when everybody else was saying, don't listen to him. Get, just get away from him. There's more people you can help than him. And, and Jesus was not controlled by the crowd. He was also one who was the, the discerner of true faith. You know, a, a, after he asked the question, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, re, 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 let me receive my sight. Immediately, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And here, here's a lesson for all of us, too, is, is God, God knows when we're really trusting him. So, so, sometimes we, we can give lip service to God. We all do that. Let's be honest. We you know, we, we know some of the answers, but we're not really trusting him in the now. But in the midst of the crowd who, who had seen Jesus before, we're seeing Jesus right now, the one who could not see was trusting him more than the ones who could see. Some of you are familiar with the story of Helen Keller. 
Helen Keller was a, a young person that could not see, and she was a bitter, angry person. So much so that they had to control her because she would be violent with people around her. There, there, was, there was one who came alongside her to be her teacher, her mentor, and through love and God's grace and God's mercy, brought her to the point where she could function so much so that she went around the world being a prominent person, um, giving lectures to people how to deal with issues in your life. And, and someone, as she got to that place, asked her the question. She became a follower of Jesus, and they said, well, isn't it terrible to be without sight? And she responded, you know what's more terrible than not be able to see with your two eyes is, is not to be able to see from your heart. To see that which is physical but not see that which is most important. And see, this, this, this man who's named in another place, Bartimaeus, he saw what the crowd did not see. One who is always merciful, always gracious, always giving to the person who comes to him in true trust. And he knows it because he's the son of man, he's the son of David, he's the one who's in control, has authority and power and, and goodness to do what needs to be done. And then what I want to conclude with this morning is He's the changer of lives. So this crowd who, who initially did not even want the, the blind man to bother Jesus, when he got t- completely transformed and changed on the inside, and we know it's on the inside because he says, your faith has made you well. It's the word sozo in the Greek, which is the word we would translate in many of the contexts in the New Testament. Uh, he is the saver. He is the one who saves you. It wasn't just a physical healing. It was a spiritual healing. But they saw the outside, and then they began to see the inside. This is the one who changes lives. So what is the simple point for us this morning? What's the so what? Who is this Jesus? He's the the son of man. He's the son of David. He's the one who has dominion, power, and authority over everything and everyone. And and what that means to us, if we trust him like this, this man who ran to Jesus, is that we want our lives to be changed. And that's always the question. Do you want Jesus to change your life? He is more than able to change our lives. But do we want him to change our lives? It begins with giving our lives in so we receive his forgiveness and we become a new person on the inside because we submit our lives to him and we believe what he did on the cross, and then when we believe what he did on the cross and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin, pay the penalty for my sins, and instantly we become a child of his. But God changes us to continue to change us. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I guess here is the question. Have you been changed in the ultimate sense? Do you know him? Have you received his forgiveness? And then are you being changed? If God's not finished with you, my wife tells me all the time, I'm sure glad God's not finished with you. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, God needs to keep changing us, and he will because he's the son of man. He's the son of David. He is the one who has dominion, rule, and power, authority over everything and everyone. So we want to embrace change because we need all to be changed changed by him and kept being changed.